It's a long walk from the back there, and I'm 72 years old, and that makes a difference, doesn't it, when you get to be an old, an old, old man. I always think of my grandfather when I was um, 19 years old. He passed away, and so I remember him being old, and he was in his late was in his 90 in his 90s I think he was in his 90s boy this is I have all these tall people that stand up here before me and now I have to adjust this a little bit but it's good to be here tonight and the title of my message is Re- ransomed and redeemed and we'll be looking at 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 verses 17 through 21 which Jim already read this evening Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of tonight gathering together to worship you. And we thank you for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf on Calvary's cross. And we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds that we might receive the truth that you have for us this evening. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin, I'd like to briefly consider the context of this first chapter of Peter's first epistle. In the first two verses, Peter identifies the recipients of this letter as Gentile believers uh, residing as aliens. And these Gentile believers were living in various locations uh, throughout uh, Asia Minor, which today is known as Turkey. In verses 3 to 5, he blesses the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for Among other things, his great mercy, a living hope through the resurrection, an imperishable inheritance, and a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In verses 6 and 7, he acknowledges that they had been distressed by various trials and their faith had been tested by fire. In verses 8 and 9, Peter recognizes their love for the Lord and their inexpressible joy and the salvation of their souls as the outcome of their faith. And in the verses leading up to our text, Peter tells these aliens to not be conformed to their former lusts, but to be holy in all their behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, in verse 1 of our text, or the first verse of our text, Peter reminds his readers that the God of whom they call Father is also their judge. And he warns them, if you address as Father one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. And clearly uh, clearly the holiness to which Peter called these Gentile believers is important since Jesus told his disciples pretty much the same thing. He said, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will render to everyone according to his deeds. Matthew 16, 27. And you know, the Bible certainly teaches us that We are saved by grace through faith. But it also makes it clear that our faith must manifest itself in holy living and in good works. Even as the Apostle Paul declares, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 Well then Peter continues with verse 17 in essence saying, Since you know that God will one day judge your work, conduct yourselves in fear. Now people sometimes fear God because they've done something wrong and they fear His retribution. But fearing God can also mean something entirely different. That is reverence and respect which leads to obedience. And fearing God is is serving Him and observing His commandments. We read in Deuteronomy 28.58, Be careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear the glorious and awesome name of the Lord your God. And fearing God is where true wisdom begins. You know, we read in Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom is the kind of knowledge and understanding of the Word of God that enables a person to make good decisions in life and to avoid bad consequences. And fearing God assures us that His eye will always be upon us. We read in Psalm 33:18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him. Well, then Peter says in the second half of verse 17, Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. And during the time of your stay suggests that that we should be living as sojourners or as temporary residents. In other words, living like someone passing through, not intending to become a permanent resident. You know, our true citizenship is not here on earth but it's in heaven. Well, Peter then adds in verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things. You know, redemption or being redeemed is buying liberty for a captive through the payment of a ransom. And the old Levitical law required Israelites to buy back, that is, to redeem a family member who had been forced to sell himself into slavery as we read in Leviticus chapter 25. And the New Testament presents Christ's death on the cross as a redemptive act, a ransom for many. The idea is that we have sinned, and our sin condemns us to death, but God paid the ransom price for our redemption by Jesus' death on the cross. Paul speaks of redemption in Christ Jesus in Romans chapter 3. And in Ephesians 1, 7 he says, We have our redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. And then Peter says, You are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul speaks of the perishable body that we all have and the fact that all believers must put on the imperishable. However, even the dead in Christ, Paul says, will be raised imperishable. And he adds that we will be changed. All believers will be changed. Won't that be some event one day? You see... We human beings have a huge problem. 
Our perishable bodies are subject to wear and tear and decay, as we senior citizens know all too well. But none of that will be true of our future glorified and imperishable bodies. You know, my dad used to say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask for a skinny body. I've been living in this fat body my whole life, he said. (laughs) Oh, boy. But not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold in verse 18 reminds us of Isaiah 52.3 where God promised Israel that she would be redeemed from her exile without money. Without money. And you know, the most common currency used to redeem slaves in Peter's day would have been silver or gold. Our redemption, on the other hand, was purchased not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And Peter then says in the last half of verse 18, redeemed from your future way of life, or excuse me, from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers. Here Peter is describing the Gentiles' traditions and values passed down from their ancestors. You see, whether or not we receive a monetary inheritance from our parents, we do receive something else. We inherit their genes, their physical and mental strengths, and weaknesses and their propensity for certain diseases. I tell people, I got the best of both worlds from my parents. Cancer from my father's side and heart disease from my mother's. But I did gain something much more valuable. I have to say that I'm very grateful for the training and the sound teaching that I received growing up. And I'm sure many of you would say the same. In Pastor Herb Franz's home, I was introduced to Jesus, and I'm so grateful for that. Anyway, if our parents were present during our formative years, we learned their values and their beliefs. In our text, Peter was telling the Gentiles that Christ had delivered them from the futile and worthless habits of their forefathers. Peter then moves on to verse 19. But you were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. In the New Testament, there are two related words, redeem and ransom, used to describe how God bought us and brought us out of the realm of darkness into the light. When describing the method by which God sets a sinner free, The New Testament uses the word redeem. And when describing the price God paid to redeem that sinner, the New Testament uses the word ransom. And so, in other words, to redeem lost sinners, God paid a ransom. And in this verse, Peter makes it clear that the ransom for the redemption of lost sinners was the precious blood of Jesus, a spotless and pure lamb. And you know, this points us back to the Jewish sacrificial system practiced in the Old Testament where the Israelites sacrificed animals as a means of atonement. They were sinners condemned to death. But God offered them a substitute, the life of a lamb for their life. You see, that's what atonement is, the the reconciliation of a sinful human being to a holy God. 
through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You know, God could not say, okay, I'll just forget about your sin. I'll forget about what I said I would do. I'll just forgive you. If he said that, he would not be a righteous God. He would not be a God of his word. You recall what he told Adam and Eve in the garden of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Genesis 2.17 And Romans 6.23 makes the consequences of sin very clear. We've all read this verse. The wages of sin is death. For God to be a just God, a God of His Word, someone had to die. Someone had to pay for the sins of mankind in order for sinners to be reconciled back to God. In essence, God said, You have sinned against me, and according to my law, sin is punishable by death, so you must die. Yet, because I love you, I will provide a substitute to die in your place, someone sinless and perfect. I have no sinless and perfect sacrifice other than my son. I will offer him to die for you. That's atonement. The second half of Romans 6.23 makes the outcome of atonement, the outcome of Jesus' death, very clear. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, the Old Testament law demanded that sacrificial animals be without any flaws, free from imperfections of any kind. And God's sacrifice, His Lamb, had to be sinless and perfect. God knew, and, and Jesus knew, that He was the only one who qualified as the sinless and perfect sacrifice that was needed. And we should also note that in the New Testament, it repeatedly applies this sacrificial language to Jesus. He said of himself in Mark 10:45, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And remember what John the Baptist spoke of Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1:29. And in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul declares that Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed in our place. And in the book of Revelation, we find more than 30 references to Christ as the Lamb. Peter then says in verse 20, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ was known beforehand. He was chosen beforehand by God the Father. And God had a marvelous plan from the very beginning of the world. The plan was to send Jesus into the world to die on a cross so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, Peter then adds, And he has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Verse 20. And Jesus did appear in these last times some 2,000 years ago when he came to this earth to be born as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. And he is the same Christ who will come again. You see, 
Believers have been living in these last times for two millennia. And given what we've seen lately here in America and around the world, we are still living in the last days and we are closer to Christ's appearance than ever before. And I truly believe His coming could be very soon. And in, at any rate, Jesus' great purpose in coming to this earth was to redeem lost sinners. We read in Titus 2.14, Christ Jesus gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And it was God the Father who paid the ransom for every lost and repentant sinner. Peter then makes this passage very personal by saying, in essence, God's plan, conceived before the foundation of the world, required the precious blood of Jesus, and it was established for your sake. And I might add, it was for the sake of every born-again believer throughout the ages. In the final verse, Peter says, Who through Christ are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Verse 21. It is through Christ that these Gentiles became believers in God. It was through Jesus. The Jews had the advantage of their faith heritage to introduce them to God. But these Gentile believers had received from their forefathers only a useless way of life. The glory of this verse belongs to God the Father who shared it with His Son, Jesus. Paul wrote in Philippians 2, 7 and 8 that Jesus emptied himself of that glory when he came to this earth the first time. Taking the form of a bond servant, he being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus' glory was revealed at the transfiguration and revealed in his death and his resurrection. And it will be re revealed again at his second coming. Jesus will return in a cloud with power and great glory. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You read about that in Philippians chapter 2. And all of this will take place in the future. But in the meantime, we must keep reminding ourselves that our faith and our hope are in God. This final verse in the New Living Translation says, Through Christ you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God, because He raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. And just as God in the end liberated Jesus, he released him from the tomb. So God will in the end liberate these Gentile believers. He will raise them from the dead. And God will also in the end liberate all believers. All who have died in Christ will be resurrected one day. 
and all of us who are still living can look forward to the time of our liberation from this world of sin and death. Don't you look forward to that day? It's going to be a glorious day. And if God was faithful to Jesus, and He surely was, He will also be faithful to you and me and all believers to the very end. In 1983, Southern Gospel singer-songwriter Mike Payne was dining in a restaurant. And he happened to run into Ronnie Henson, another Southern Gospel singer-songwriter. And Payne mentioned to Henson that he was working on a new song. He said, I have an idea about the theme for a song. When Jesus was on the cross, he was thinking about me. He continued, from the cross, Jesus saw those standing around him with their need. But he also looked to the future and saw me and was thinking about me and my need. Ronnie Henson thought for a moment and then replied, Instead of saying when Jesus was on the cross, he was thinking about me, why don't you say when he was on the cross, I was on his mind? Payne responded, Hey, I like that. These two Southern Gospel singer-songwriters got together that very evening and wrote the song that I'd like to share with you in closing. And by the way, the first time I heard the song was in 1995 or 96. I had stopped by to see my dad one afternoon. Uh, they lived right next door to us. And he was watching and listening to the Florida Boys, a good Southern Gospel Quartet, sing the song on one of the Gaither videos. And tears were streaming down his face. And the moment he saw me come into the house and up the stairs, he literally cried out, Son, you got to learn this song. you got to learn this. I'm not on an ego the 
His mother. 